Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Dr. Ishii Desai, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Ryan Padres. Dr. Padres is a pediatrician and the assistant clinical professor of pediatrics at Stanford University's Division of General Pediatrics. He's also the medical director at the primary school where he cares for patients and teaches pediatric residents and medical students at Gardner-Packard Children's Health Center. Thank you so much, Ryan, for being with us today. It's great to be here with you, Rishi. So, Ryan, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your background and what led you to pursue a you know, career in healthcare, specifically within pediatrics? Sure. I think I was part of the, the class early on that was a more untraditional pre-medical student. I finished up really interested in health policy and economics, and after undergrad, went to D.C., thinking about Medicaid and our Medicare systems. and But it was there that sort of lit the inspiration for me to get more engaged in this work from a clinical perspective. And, and I was really inspired by those clinical on-the-ground leaders that were contributing to the systems change and policy work that could provide those perspectives of taking care of patients. And I thought those, those perspectives were really important and I could see myself trying to do that work. So I had to go back, do all my pre-med classes and found my way into medical school where I, I then fell in love with pediatrics for, I think, the, the tenets of being able to help a child early on and the impacts that, of that long-lasting change in health, I think, really spoke to me. And I um, also really love working with parents. So it's, that's one of the secrets of pediatrics that people need to, it's not just the kids, it's working with the parents as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And sometimes it feels like it's it's even 80, 20, most parents. Maybe That's right. Kids. That's right. Um, so, so do you mind just sharing a little bit about the primary school itself and, and what you do as the medical director? So about four years ago now, I got asked to be involved in the design and launch of a really exciting new school model in, in East Palo Alto called the primary school. It's a nonprofit preschool and elementary school serving primarily low-income families in our community. And I've had the opportunity to work with these families, our community partners, to develop what we hope is a new school model that's really best supporting the needs of the whole child. So where we can try to really build that team of adults around a child, including the parents, the teachers, the pediatricians, therapists, community partners, so that they can more easily work together to really ensure all our kids can do well and have meaningful, emotionally, mentally, and physically healthy lives. I think part of why we exist is sort of some of the challenges I felt as a pediatrician in the, in the clinic where we're trying to navigate for example, getting speech services or mental health services for one of my patients um, and having to really work with our education system, our county mental health systems, and the barriers of communication and coordination around those felt really frustrating to me. And really, we, we can come up with a better way. We can do this better. And so that's what we're trying to really create here at the primary schools is a program where we support our families being able to get the services they need for their child. And, and that kind of segues into the theory of change and the idea of the whole child. You mind just kind of uh, walking me through that? Sure. So our, our theory of change is grounded in sort of three principles or three tenets of what would it take to be a different school model or school approach to do this work? And we sort of landed in the three things that we're keeping our eye on is first, we need to start working earlier with our children and families. So if we're going to be an elementary school, we actually feel we need to start working with the kids shortly after birth and that critical window of development through a variety of programs that support the family to get our children really and students preschool ready. We also are making some investments in supports for how do we really partner with our parents and support 
our parents to be well, because we, we believe that when our parents thrive, our kids can thrive. And so we're investing in a wellness coaching program for our parents. That's really interesting. And then finally, how do we really integrate services in a school and a school model so that we support that whole child building that interdisciplinary team at the school? Um, and doing this all grounded in a trauma-informed lens that's responsive to the community here in East Palo Alto that we're serving. And, I, and I'll just say that the primary school, though, we're not trying to be just one special school. Our real goal, our North Star, is how do we start to figure out how we can share what's working in this model with public school systems and our healthcare systems so that all kids across California and our country can start to feel a different way a school model could support them. So I can share a little bit also about what's my role as a medical director. <laughs> and it's a unique position I found myself as a pediatrician um, in taking on this role. But I think, you know, I see my role as really trying to figure out how health supports could look like to support this model. So on one side of my work is figuring out partnerships with other providers in the healthcare system of how we can do this coordination better with our community clinics. A vast majority of our children go to, to one federally qualified health center here in our community. Um, also exploring what health services make sense to bring into a school, like vision and hearing screening is a very common one we see, but can we go a little further and bring in dental screening, asthma supports, mental health services, and also putting systems in place to support so that all our children have medical homes and that they all go to their well child visit every year. The other side of my work is then how do we build out and support healthy behaviors for our children? So this is about partnering with the teachers and the parents, much more the creative side of my work around helping to drive some of those healthy home behaviors in the home and in the classroom. So things around nutrition and sleep hygiene and physical activity, and how do we encompass the whole child? And you've, you, you mentioned the phrase trauma just right now, and, and we've talked in the past about toxic stress. I'm just curious about like, how does your school think about social emotional development and mental health uh, in these young kids? And, and can you just dive into like the kinds of traumas that you see among the kids? Our model was really built around helping to build and promote resiliency, which is sort of the anecdote to, to trauma. So we, we've learned a lot in the last 10 years about the physiologic effects of what we call toxic stress. So too much adversity and stress for what the body can handle. And we're seeing that play out in learning challenges and health challenges and chronic health in so much important research has come out. And so we not only want to be aware of that, start to change the narrative around how we support our families and children that may be facing adversity, but then how do we actually help support them overcome that? And that's really about building healthy relationships with a, a loving and caring adult and promoting resiliency in our, in our children. And so part of that promotion of resiliency is strong attention to social, emotional, and mental health supports in the school. And that's built into a lot of the, the DNA of the curriculum that we do, as well as the sort of culture and climate we want to be building in our school. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm also kind of curious, especially right now with COVID-19, there's even more need now than ever to have that mental health and well-being as part of the curriculum and kind of thinking about that with both the kids and the families as well. What, what are some initiatives you guys are doing around COVID aligned to that? Yeah, absolutely. And so this was a huge part of the work we did when we could have kids in our classroom. And as we moved, shifted to remote learning, our team had to pivot really quickly to figure out how we can continue these supports for the whole child at home. And so our school is using other tenants that a lot of others are doing and how we get our mental health therapists on telehealth and how we use other services in the home via the Zoom nation that we live on. But then there's been a lot of creativity of supporting all those other domains like nutrition, physical activity, sleep hygiene, um, even hand hygiene and COVID safety, using a lot of different creative outlets, including videos and podcasts and 
home-based activities, how we can still foster connections with their other classmates and their teachers and, and thinking about remote collective activities. And so our theme over the, this quarter has really been about wellness in the time of COVID and thinking really creatively about supporting those activities as intentionally as we are supporting the literacy and math um, work that's going on at home. And I think the other thing we've been doing that I'm, I'm really proud of our team and I give all of them the credit is how we also play out this narrative of supporting the whole family. It's about family wellness. And so COVID has hit our families in East Palo Alto really, really hard. Uh, many parents are essential workers. They're getting exposed to the virus. They potentially have lost jobs or having a hard time paying rent or putting food on the table. And so that's adding a lot to their stress. That's adding to this potentially concerned that that level of toxic stress may be rising. And so our parent coaches have really stepped up in their frequency of checking in with families, but we're also stepping up in the resources we provide to help our families be well, and including stress management, podcasts for our teachers about how to stay mindful, and just really deep, deep continued focus on our parent well-being. And so for me, COVID has really emphasized this huge, important time where schools can play a part in supporting family wellness in service of our kids. That's helpful. And and you're, you're kind of going through a lot of specifics related to the primary school and your families and kids. Do you mind now doing the opposite and kind of telling me your thoughts on how COVID affects our healthcare system more broadly and specifically ways that have been made clear to you as like things that we need to strengthen essentially? I feel COVID has really illuminated or perhaps a better word exposed some challenges in our healthcare system that I think I've been thinking about for a while and now I've just become really clear. And a few of them that come to mind are employer-based health insurance system. You know, many of our families at the primary school lost their job and with that, they lost their insurance. And so we need to rethink about what does an employer-based insurance system need to look like here in, in our country. Clearly, top of mind is the disparities that we're seeing um, from COVID play out with people of color and non-people of color in our country. You know, Even before the pandemic, there were really troubling trends regarding these inequities in our health and healthcare delivery. But COVID is just made these profoundly more clear. And when we look at who is getting sick, um, who's dying, who's needing the, the hospital services, um, and the numbers are disproportionately really high for our African-American and Hispanic populations here in the country. And that's we're seeing that in our community around us here in East Palo Alto. And so how we improve that is first steps accelerated awareness, yes, but we need to keep a really keen focus on access. So back to that insurance question, but you know, also, we, I think we needed to start talking about accountability and how we hold certain stakeholders accountable for some of these disparities we're seeing in, in terms of health plans and, and systems. A few more ideas that, that have been illuminated to me are just a real importance of public health. I bet before this pandemic, most people didn't know the name of their county health officer. Now we all do, uh, wherever we live. And just how critical our public health infrastructure is to keep our country safe and open. And so as our colleagues at the New England Journal of Medicine recently shared an editorial we could have and should have done much better at responding to this um, as a country. And so it just elevates the importance of a well-funded public health structure. But one that's playing out really tangibly for me at my role at the primary school is just the connection and dependencies between the education system and our healthcare system. As schools shut down, we learned just how important schools are for providing so much health services to kids, including mental health care and other social emotional, you know, sort of health benefits to our children. In addition, there's so many kids out there that were losing other access to health services that were being delivered in our school-based health clinics that were there. Schools are a really important delivery arm for healthcare, but maybe we need to think about how we fund schools better to do that work that they're that they're doing. Also, with this kind of looming decision about how we reopen schools, I think 
it's being elevated of how closely our school systems need to work with our public health and our community clinics to come up with good safety protocols, make sure there's access to testing and good communication. And so my hope is that this need of healthcare and education to work more closely together isn't a new problem. It's just one that's been, again, illuminated really clearly today. And I hope that we're going to move on beyond COVID. I hope this pressure and um, need for our two systems to work together will remain there. There's going to be continued health barriers to learning that we need to address for a lot of our kids, including asthma supports, mental health supports, they're going to remain. So how can we start to really build school-friendly health systems out there that, that, that foster this coordination better? Suffice to say, there's a lot that we've learned in terms of how we can make our healthcare system better. And I agree that, you know, COVID has helped to make it clear how important public health infrastructure is, both in the classic sense, but how much gets done in schools. With that in mind, you know, is there anything that you can kind of illuminate in terms of any myths or things that people typically don't think about, you know, where teaching platforms are always looking for opportunities to learn. Um, anything you'd love to kind of teach our audience would be appreciated. I think from a, a teaching question, you know, one that I get asked often to, to talk about and share is, you know, let's talk about how we're going to get our schools reopened. And what do we know in terms of the evidence right now about community spread and transmission and kids and, and what role schools will play in this. And so, the first caveat in this is we missed a really big opportunity in our country and the world, I would say, to study the impact of spread in schools by not setting up a number of randomized control trials around this. And um, we closed schools around the world. At the same time, we did a number of other interventions to mitigate and slow the spread. And so now we're at this moment where a lot of new papers are coming out almost on a weekly basis, looking at school openings at different countries and, and different communities. And I think Fortunately, the evidence is converging on, on similar themes, um, which is we're really lucky that COVID so far, we're seeing that kids are getting sick less and with less severe symptoms. And that those kids that are under 10 especially are probably contributing to population community spread less than they are for older children or, or adults. And this is really, really lucky. And this is a complete shift in our mental model. We typically think of kids as the vectors for viruses and colds. And so it's really hard for us to shift to this idea that they may actually not be one of the biggest vectors for spread. Thus far, what we're seeing is for the schools that have been able to open, especially for the younger kids, it's we might could do this safely with the right protection protocols and mitigation practices in place um, that they're not contributing to widespread community outbreaks. And for those schools that have opened uh, at different places in the country where spread has happened in a school, it's often because the rate of community spread around that school is really high. And so there's lots of debate about whether kids can spread it. Are they super spreaders? There's been highlights in the media. Absolutely, kids can catch it and can spread it, maybe not as aggressively as other um, populations. But I think the times when that will happen is when the community rates are really high around the school. As I hopefully support the primary school and other schools around my community start to open up, I just want to also share or illuminate that the operations and logistics to do this is really daunting. And it's a whole new you know, task of, of activities that schools need to take on. And so to be able to just to know the protocols of how to respond to different symptoms or contacts in students and just to put all the different mitigation and prevention strategies in a school takes a lot of work. And so we're going to have to support our schools with the right resources, funding, and hopefully our physician community can support them as well. Do you think that as, as families come in, they obviously have to trust that you're doing everything to keep their kids safe. And then as they go back home, as those kids go back home, you know, there's a risk that other family members can contract COVID as well. 
So are you, are you sending any messages to the families about like, hey, if you choose to have your kids here, you know, this is kind of your pod, this is your cohort then and don't, you know, have other cohorts to, to extend the risk, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. I think sort of what you're alluding to is when and if we can open up schools and classrooms, the level of trust and sort of adherence to rules is really, really important. And we're sort of leaning on the messaging of we need to keep our community safe. And so it's about hopefully minimizing the interaction with other pods and, and students outside of the school and also being really transparent and honest when there are symptoms or potential contacts that have happened. And that takes um, a real level of trust that needs to be put in place, but it's critically important. And so, yeah, we're trying lots of different messages, different flyers to really elevate why this is so critical. Yeah. And, and it's interesting too, because then, you know, the school becomes the extended family right? in a very real way. Uh, and the risk goes both ways. You want to protect the teachers. They want to protect grandparents, things like that. I so. have a lot of optimism that our primary school family, it's, it's funny you use that word because we, we said that a lot, even before COVID, this is the, your school family. And I have a lot of hope and optimism that they will treat it as their family and we will have um, some good adherence to the, the right safe practices. Yeah. And a ton of trust, right? Like you really have to trust them, not just for something that feels a little more abstract, like math or English, but like trust with their health, which is, which is critical. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, Ryan, you know, we have a lot of folks in the audience that aspire to health careers. Uh, they probably look at a career like yours and say, Hey, that sounds really interesting. You know, I wouldn't have thought of myself in that role. Do you mind just giving advice on maybe how you got to where you're going or where you're at and where you're going for someone that may be just starting their, their journey? Sure. That's, that's a good question. I think some of the, our hardest health challenges or maybe some of the most important questions that we need to address to help keep our community healthy, kids healthy, even adults, I think are going to be solved not within the walls of the clinic or the hospital is about how you sort of work in community in partnership with other organizations that is something that I, I learned early on in my career uh, around this importance of interdisciplinary work. And, and so that's something that a theme that I've want to hopefully maintain through my career. So I hope that there's more people aspiring in medicine that are going to medical school or, or graduating that want to keep the same interdisciplinary lens to their work. They want to work across with the education sector, social services, community nonprofits, even our non-health government programs. I think my time at the primary school has only fueled that belief and fire around the importance of that sort of interdisciplinary work. And I think that's how we're going to really move the needle on some of these health outcomes that we want to change. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And probably a really good note for us to end on. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Ryan Padres from the primary school. I really appreciated your time. Thanks, Rishi. It was fun to be here with you. Awesome. Well, I'm Dr. Rishi Desai. Thank you for joining today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.